Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a unique guest sharing their story and tips and tricks on getting into the industry or advancing your career in the industry. And today I'm, I'm happy to, to welcome Ross Flynn to the show. Welcome, Ross. Hey, Philip. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to join us. Uh, I found out about Ross because a, a, a mutual friend of ours uh, Lily Clark introduced us, and so that's how we kind of got to, to to meet. And she would kind of mention when she referred me, she was saying, "Yeah, you should have Ross on your on your show. I think he's got some valuable uh, advice to share with your audience." So, uh, yeah, it's awesome to have you on here. For sure. And Lily has been, uh, we just started working together within the last few months. She's been a great asset to our team. I, she, she brings the positivity for all of the, the cultural, cultural aspects. And then she's, she knows what she's doing. So it's been really nice having her on our team. Yeah. Just that positivity. That's one of the things I love when we work together, you know, just always positive, always happy. And that that's infectious, you know, attitudes infectious in general. If someone's in a bad mood or something, then sometimes that affects you. But when someone's in a good mood, that, that's a good thing, and it's a, a a good type of person to work with. So that's cool. Yeah, we all sure. get to work together, for sure. And and working for a fairly new company, that's kind of good to kind of have someone in there to help the positivity, to set the the culture and all that. So, oh yeah, we've been very intentional. Um, it's been very intentional about the culture. Uh, we have some really solid talent people that I'm really excited to work with and proud to work with. But apart from them being technically talented at their job, they're just good people. Um, all of them, I, I can consult outside of work and ask a question about something that we're, that I might be working through. And they're all just incredibly um, gracious. And if I don't know something, they don't make me feel bad about it. They're just great people. Uh, that's, that's good. That's always good to have a good team. I've, I've been on teams that are really close and, you know, do things out of work and, you know, communicate outside of work. And then some, they're just a little more to themselves, do their job. And after five o'clock, you don't hear from them. So that's, that's a good thing. Ma- oh, yeah. Makes, makes work a lot nicer when you got people you like, you know, working with. So that's, that's great. It's a world of difference. So uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, kind of share, you know, what you do and, and uh, a little bit about your background. 
Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, so I would say what I do now, I do kind of a, a variety of thing over at Echelon Risk and Cyber. We have um, broken out into our defensive team, our risk advisory team, and our offensive security team. So I'm a se senior consultant. Um, some of my time is spent in the offensive security side where I'm doing pen tests. A good majority of my time is on the risk advisory side. A lot of my background that we'll get into lends itself to more of the incident response uh, side, disaster recovery, uh, risk management. I do a lot of compliance work. So that's a good portion of what I my day-to-day -day looks like. How I got here is a little bit more unique, um, which I'm sure with all the people you have on this show, you hear tons of the stories. So um, my mine won't be anything crazy for you. But I initially started my career off in logistics. I was working for a company called Tough Mudder. We put on 10 mile uh, mud runs across the country. I would travel. I would, at the time I was still in college, so I would drive to an event. I was saving all of my money for school so that I could pay off school real time. And as a contractor, it was my responsibility to book all of my own travel. So I would drive to uh, Missouri or I would drive to, to Florida or wherever it was and sleep in my car and do my schoolwork and star starbucks parking lot after my work hours um, and i was working on a crisis counseling degree so at that time i actually thought i was going to go into full-time logistics i was getting this crisis counseling degree i was really interested in the logistics side working with vendors working with uh, event production and so i thought maybe down the line i'll do this counseling thing for a while and then i'll get my master's in logistics and be able to apply my my counseling experience to that. I ended up finishing that role, got my degree, and a um, counseling agency reached out. And they, I had met them through an internship process before, so I was familiar with them. I was familiar with some of the team members, and they said, hey, if you're interested in applying, we have a new family counselor role. So my role was family preservation counseling for about two years. Um, I would get recommendations from um, child welfare, children, youth, and families. And my job was to assess the situation. I did in-home counseling. I would look at the the family, understand the the dynamic, understand you know what were why did I get a referral? Was there something in particular going on? And um, help them figure out if it's if this is a safe environment if there's a way that we can grow together and I can help them identify opportunities to make the, the environment safer for their children. Or, you know, the unfortunate part was some were beyond um, the abilities of the family and beyond my abilities. And I, I made foster care recommendations. So it was a lot for somebody my age at the time. Um, but I, I really kind of found a lot of my roots in counseling. And then uh, my my mom got sick, so I was living a couple hours away from where I grew up in Pittsburgh and decided to move back home, help take care of my mom, and the child welfare field was taking a pretty big toll on me uh, emotionally. I was getting very invested with my clients, and it was hard to make a lot of those calls. So um, I reached out to some friends and family and saw some counsel, thought through, you know, what else can I do? I have this crisis counseling degree. 
I don't know what else I'm built for. Maybe I'll go back into logistics. Um, I started pursuing some new opportunities. I looked at potentially law school for a little bit. I thought about doing insurance sales. And a family member said that he had made a transition from uh, environmental studies to cybersecurity. And I knew nothing of of cybersecurity. I always tell people I couldn't... I couldn't install games on my own PC. I had to have my friends come over and install my video games because I couldn't figure it out just to show you how technologically inept I was. Um, but he, he said, you know, in this field, there's a lot of opportunity for your experience and your unique background to be your greatest asset. Um, and I said, well, I don't have any experience. I don't know how I would get experience. And he was willing to put in a word with a friend who said, if you start studying for your A+, um, if you start studying on it for some certifications, I will give you uh, an internship. You know, I, I will help you along this path. So I studied for my A+, I ended up getting a short contract role where I was, in, I was installing and removing servers and computers from my local library system. Um, kind of started off doing that, getting my my hands for the first time on a keyboard and seeing, you know, what is an operating system and understanding some of the, the basics. I moved on to this internship doing cloud security for a company called um, a Cloud eAssurance, where we were helping cloud, helping, uh, it was a SaaS solution, and uh, they would see how compliant, help you map your compliance against other frameworks based off of um, questionnaires from the Cloud Security Alliance Star Registry. So I did that for a while. And then this, um, I found a identity and access management position at PPG, which is the large, the world's largest manufacturer of specialty coatings. And I started, started over there and just kind of grew my way through that, their organization. I went through their IAM program. I moved into internal audit. From internal audit, I went over to uh, risk management. And then finally, out of my risk management role, I moved over to Echelon, which that is a very lengthy, uh, <laughs> lengthy way to say um, I had a lot of people that helped me open doors. Yeah, that's a very interesting introduction into the into yourself and how you got started. Yeah, you definitely definitely put in some. I mean, sleeping in a car and traveling to do that and keeping up with your school that must have been pretty tough. <laughs> it, it was an experience. It's something I look back on now. And at my age, I could not do it anymore. My body would not let me. But, you know, being that 23, 24 range, um, it, was, it was way more doable. It was something I'm grateful for, but I would not want to go through again. Yeah, those are good learning lessons, too, when you put in that hard work and effort to get to where you're going. And, that the, you know, those type of jobs don't pay that well, but it gets you, you know, on your path. So that's pretty cool. And interesting that uh, you came in through a counseling background. So with your skills that you learned in school and dealing with people as a counselor, how's this helped you in, in your career of cybersecurity? I think one of the biggest things it's done for me is help me to establish trust very quickly with people. What I found is that when I, in this field, there are a lot of people that are incredibly technical and very, very smart but they're smart and, and they, they know this portion of their um, their job. And that's mostly it. And I think there's, there's an opportunity for everybody to grow their soft skills uh, in the same way that I'm growing all of my 
technical skills. I'm growing my risk management skills constantly. Um, there's an opportunity for people that have a very technical background to grow their soft skills. Uh, it's not something I would say is innate. I think it, it can be flexed like any other muscle. So I would say my ability to build trust quickly and listen, uh, particularly in a role like consulting, a lot of my responsibility is to listen to my client, understand what it is that they need. Um, if, if we're at the point that they, um, they want to talk with me, I, I assume they already trust me and know that I'm going to, that know that I can do the technical piece, but they're really wanting somebody that is going to listen to them and keep their needs at the forefront. So that's something that I feel like I've been able to bring a unique perspective to. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's very, very unique uh, skill to have there. I think people really underestimate the soft skill of listening because everyone talks about communication, but you know, you don't always hear the emphasis on listening. So listening, that's a, a great skill because too many times, you know, someone's dealing with a the customer, they're not listening, they're thinking about what, you know, just kind of assuming this and and you know, going beyond just the communication and paying attention, listening, that's a good skill. So I'm sure that's probably helped you a lot. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It helps me in this field. I mean, it really helps me in every aspect of, of life. Um, when I was doing counseling, I would do couples counseling sometimes, or I would do counseling with a, a child and their parent or just individual counseling one-on-one -on -one with, um, with a parent or a child and help them identify their place in the family, their, their role and how they, what are they able to control in their life? What aren't they able to control? And one of the things that constantly comes up is just the ability to listen and empathize. So many of the parents that I worked with would, they'd say they listened to their kid and they'd say they empathize with their kid, but they, they also had the mentality of, well, when I was a kid, this is how it was. And getting them to understand that we're not in the same place. Not only are we, you know, you had very different upbringings, but the impact that technology has is, is just outrageous. I mean, when I was that age, my every action was not on display all the time, like it is now with, with TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram, Twitter, all of them, YouTube. Everything these kids do is on display. And, and I feel for them. So I think the ability to empathize, and I, I tried constantly to... Um, help these parents understand that empathizing and listening with their their kids is going to produce the the best result and make the biggest change in in their family. And I, I'm sure those skills have helped with dis difficult customers or maybe some past difficult uh, coworkers at other jobs trying to get along with them and just kind of figure out how to make things. You know, with those skills, you can make things work a little bit easier than just your average person trying to help you know, build those strong relationships. So I'm sure that's been very helpful. Oh yeah. I think the, my conflict resolution is one of my, my greatest assets. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean I don't get in disagreements, but they're all respectful and none of them have ever escalated. Um, and they've been a pretty great asset in cybersecurity. So did, was that, was that a skill, you know, the things, you know, those skills that you're using, use for counseling and those people skills and soft skills, was that something that came natural for you or is that something you had to work on? You seem like a really kind and easygoing person. So just my perception is, is it something 
that was, uh, you know, you were cut out for, but is that a true assumption or is it take, take work and, and experience to get to that? Well, first of all, I very much appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Um, I, I think there's a, lot, a level of both. Of course, you know, upbringing, we, we could talk all day about nature versus nurture. But um, like I said before, I think it's something that you can learn. I've honed it. Um, I've learned how not to introduce my own bias. There are things that I've gone through that I see someone else going through and I want to tell them this is how I dealt with it. But that's not always beneficial. So I've learned to give objective thoughts and give them when they're necessary and they're adding some form of value. So if I have somebody that says that they're you know, not, not particularly in the cyber field, but in, in just a personal life that they're struggling with, a, with something, um, even though my knee jerk might be, you should do this, it's something that I constantly practice to say, well, how are you feeling about this? And how can I walk through this with you? How can I be helpful um, in helping you figure this out rather than how can I solve it for you? So with with your skills and I'm sure uh, what all you learn in school and all this would you'd probably be really good at social engineering. So do you get to do any social engineering in your job? I do, I do, and that is one of my favorites. I, I try to think, you know, there are certain things that everybody goes goes to. You know, we we all look for how do we make this person feel a little bit of pressure? How do we put a uh, like a time limit on so they feel like it's urgent. Um, I try, and I think I do a fairly decent job of using language um, that you might not typically see in a social engineering campaign. And um, so far, I mean, it's it's returned pretty great results. We have pretty high success rates with uh, our phishing campaigns that I've been involved in. Yeah, that's very very cool. It's interesting, and it's interesting too the whole con- the whole concept of social engineering because I had a former coworker that I worked with for several years and we remained friends. And, and, uh, but one of the things he ran into, he'd, he's been pen testing for coming up on, I think he's been pen testing for like 26 years. He did a lot of social engineering, but he kind of got to the point where he didn't feel right doing it. He felt like he was deceiving people by doing that. So he just kind of asked to not be involved with that. So, uh, do you see like that, being a conflict for you or just you're able to separate that in <laughs> it it has been a struggle um because i do value trust so much so i, I value the the trust that i build with people and it kind of kills me to deceive people i i hate lying in general so i will do whatever i can to avoid lying even if that means sometimes i i hurt someone's feelings i try to do it in a way that um it's still edifying and it doesn't like damage a relationship or anything, but I just don't, if I can avoid lying, I will. So when your whole role is, or your whole objective is to deceive, there is a little bit of a moral conflict, but I'll say for the most part, I've been able to um, separate those. That's good. Yeah. I was kind of really curious to see what your answer would be to that. Cause you know, the perception, you seem like a really nice guy and all that. And I could see where that could, could potentially be a problem. Yeah, it's it's not easy and it doesn't come naturally to me. Honesty, um, building those relationships that that is become is more natural. And like I said, I do try to um, engage in practices that hone that. But there's some level of it being native, so you know the deception is not something that comes naturally. Yeah, that's understandable. 
So if so, for someone that's getting started out, what, what would you recommend? Because, I mean, you went a totally different route. And so if you were to advise someone and to want to get in, wanted to get into offensive security or other areas of cybersecurity, what would you recommend for them to, to learn and be able to get into that field? I think the interesting thing about this field, and I haven't seen it with any other, is there are so many avenues to get here. Um, the field is constantly needing holistic um open-minded professionals that are willing to take on new challenges that I think you can come from pretty much any background. If you are willing to learn, willing to get out there and make yourself uncomfortable. Like I said, I was very fortunate that someone, I had people that were willing to open doors in my life or at least give me names that I could call and kind of identify people and make that connection. Um, so I think networking is a really, really big one. Um, get involved with your local special interest group. If you want to get it, if you want to start coding, then get into a, one of those co uh, coding meetup groups. If you want to be a, be a hacker, um, you know, of course, there's lots of things you need to learn, but you can get started in meeting the people that can help get you in that right direction. For me, I have a really unique one, um, but some of my colleagues, some of my friends have gone the route of learning some Python, learning some some of the basics of, um, you know, like automate the boring things. I know it's a book that gets referenced a, a lot to learn some of the basics, and then they apply that to CTFs. Um, they start learning the basics of security and they take those into CTFs, uh, the, the try hack me's, um, you know, hack the box. I think that's a great way to get in the field. You, you get a really solid introduction to concepts that are crucial to being in this field, um, but in a very low stakes environment. So I think, yeah, I think uh, particularly CTFs, uh, hack the box, Try hack me. Those kind of services are are big ones. Yeah, that's that's some good advice to get the hands on experience, and uh, you know, because at one point, you know, everyone just kind of would go for certifications or whatever, and you know, some of the certifications may not give you much hands on experience. So that's that's a that's a a good way to to do that. So as far as certifications go, what do you think about what are your, what is your view on certifications? Oh man, I know that is a divisive one, uh, depending on who you <laughs> talk to. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't have a degree in IT or anything related, certifications have been great for me. Um, I've been able to express my interest and and show um, where I'm passionate show that I'm willing to put the work in. And I think that's great. That's what's, what certifications can do is show an employer, a few prospective employer or company that you are willing to take the time out of your, your day to learn something. And not only learn, I think there are a lot of people that have the knowledge for any of these certifications. They just don't go that route, which is perfectly fine um, because there's a level of like setting up the, the um the test and registering and and all of these things that are just logistical things that are annoying it shows that you can complete a task i think i think there's a lot of value in them i also think that there can be there there can be a what's the right word um i want to i want to be politically correct about this they may be deceiving if somebody has all the certifications, but none of the experience, there's some red flags there. So 
I think combining uh, certifications with experience is such a cliche answer, but it's true. I think they're both uh, a dynamic duo. Yeah, it seems like sometimes if, you know, we I used to see a lot of the people with tons of certifications back in my sysadmin days because people go out and get every single certification that mm-hmm. you could get. And that just kind of, and you may be highly skilled, but sometimes it's a red flag for some people. So, and, it, and it's always interesting to discuss on the show views of certifications because you know, there's a lot of really good people out there that have zero certifications that are very good at it. And then there's oh, yeah. some people that, you know, that, that are good and have the certifications, but it's really interesting in the field on how, you know, depending on where you go, whether you have to have it, you know, cause some, some pen testing firms don't require you to have certifications cause they're really high quality and they're known for that quality. They don't have to have the certifications as, as a selling point, but you know, then there's some companies and there's understandable. They do this, that you're trying to show that you're qualified because you've got OSCPs G pens and all these other certs yep. that kind of help sell your company. And then, you know, when you get into the government sector, some of the DOD certs, the government likes to see, and you have those. So it's just always interesting to, to hear the uh, guest point of view on those. And you kind of mentioned something about coding. So what do you think about coding? Does someone need to know how to code to become a pen tester? I think you know, I, I listened to, uh, you want to, one, I've been listening to a couple of these uh, recently, some of your guests and um, I like John Hammond's approach where he said, you know, you can, you can walk, you can crawl if you aren't coding, you know, you, you can do that. But if you really want to run, you got to learn some level of coding. Um, that being said, I am by no means a native coder. It is, one of the biggest things that made me not want to get into this field is I had this impression that I had to be a master coder and I was, I was too intimidated by the the concept. So I, I have learned uh, enough Python to get by and I'm constantly learning more. That is where I've kind of started. I uh, would love to get more into JavaScript at some point, but um, I am, it just hasn't made the, the priority list yet but i think it is crucial i think it is something if you want to really know your craft you want to excel at it then you have to know some level yeah it's always interesting to hear people the certification discussion the coding discussion is always interesting to hear and one of my guests i had Alyssa knight on the show a while back last year and she was sharing that she doesn't code and it really surprised me because she's one of the best, in my opinion, in the industry. But then again, you see people uh, that write code and, and you know, some of the best out there writing tools and stuff. So it's interesting to hear, you know, everyone's past. So it just goes to show someone if you're, if you really don't think you can pick up the coding thing, you can still get in and, you know, you don't have to have it to start with. Maybe that's something to develop along the way. So it's always interesting to, to discuss that. Yeah. And if nothing else, it doesn't hurt. It'll never hurt having that under, under your uh, wing, you know, something that you can pull out, whether it be in an interview or um, just while you're in the process of enumerating or doing, doing anything. I'm sure that you, you can find a way to apply your coding knowledge. One of the things I think that has prevented a lot of people from doing that, you know, cause, and this is even, I got started pen testing back in, 
2012, but you already had, you know, the Metasploit framework, so people didn't have to write their own exploits. But of course, prior to that, you could download exploits. And Burp Suite helps automate some things that you don't have to know how to code, but definitely uh, just seeing some of the people that are, are, are coding and some of the things they're coming up with makes their life a lot easier and helps with automating stuff. Yeah, I think it, I, I can't help but feel it would just make you a more um, holistic and well-rounded pen tester um, being able to do that because it gives you the freedom to work outside of what you're given. I, I feel that way about most things in my life. Like I, I really love theory of things. So I'm, I'm a home cook. I love to cook whenever I'm looking to think of a recipe or whenever I first started really getting into cooking, I read the theory. Uh, I read how to do certain meats, um, react to certain types of cooking and what seasoning. And so I, I learned a lot of the basics, the same with music. Um, I've been playing music for, I think about 18 years now, uh, but in, it was in college that I learned music theory. And once I learned the theory of music, I was able to apply that to every other instrument. And I was, I was able to pick up, I think another eight instruments on top of the saxophone that I was playing because I learned how does music work. And so I, I have found in my life that learning the basics, the foundational theory of something allows me much greater freedom to really explore that. And I think coding is a, a great example. If you really want to explore what your tool is doing, you need to be able to read what that that's doing. Um, especially, especially if you're looking at open source tools, you can now modify that or you can make it um, more effective for your engagement if you know um, the, the coding behind it. Yeah, that can that can help with reverse engineering some stuff on a pen test as well too. Oh yeah, yeah, because that's probably one of the most. Because I've had like a a Java course before and taken several Python classes, but understanding if you find like a Java jar file and you can reverse engineer it sometimes and find information during your pen test, which can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. You were before the show. You'd kind of mentioned that you had a business, so so uh, you know, if you'd like to share what kind of business you have, that would be interesting. Probably interesting for people to to hear about. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So, a couple of years ago, um, I had this love. I've always had this love for hot sauce, and some friends and I decided to see what it would look like for us to get into the business. Um, First of all, should we, when there are so many great hot sauces out there, I, I had over a hundred in my own collection and I decided at one point that I wanted certain flavors, but I couldn't find them anywhere. So I made them and my friend made some and we both just kind of fell in love with it. So we looked at the uh, relevant regulations we had to be adherent with. We, um, we looked at what does it start what does it take to start a business? And we just did it. So now I have a hot sauce business called Maestro's Sauce Co. We focus our flavors, textures, and colors over heat for the sake of heat. I don't know if, um, you know, if you are a hot sauce fan, you've probably had something that's hot for the sake of hot. And that's just never really been my jam. I think there's a place for it in the hot sauce world. It's just not where I like to be. I like to have something that can be in addition to the meal or it can be the main part of the meal. Um, but yeah, we started making hot sauce and it's, it's grown a lot. We started to dip our toes into barbecue sauce and it's fun. The time that I, I am not working on 
my nine to five, I'm probably working on, on uh, my hot sauce company. Cool. I think it's good for people. One of the things that I don't adhere to and I'm needing to do is defined interest outside of the day job. It's good to, to have that as a hobby and do that outside of work. But, you know, even John Strand had mentioned a while back, get a hobby. So I think that's kind of helped. Do you feel like that kind of helps with burnout and, and helps you with your, your, your day, with your day job? Oh yeah. A big time. Having, having hobbies is, has really kind of given me an outlet. I will say Maestro started off as a hobby and it's really turned into a, a business where now we have restaurants and we have stores and there are demands now. So I, I've looked for a little bit more hobby and less work stuff now. Um, I built out a studio at our house a couple months ago and I got a drum set finally. So if I'm in between meetings, I might go play my drums for 10 minutes just to clear my mind and help me get ready for the next one. But even those those small five, 10 minute breaks do wonders for my mental state. Uh, I'm more, I have a clearer mind going into this meeting and I, ju- I just feel better. Oh, very cool. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything we didn't discuss or any advice you'd like to give before we end the episode? Yeah. The, the one thing I, I would love to just get across the, to someone that's nervous about the field or discouraged that maybe they haven't got that first foot in the door somewhere, but they really want to just don't stop trying. Um, you never know how the door is going to open. Um, I, like I said, I was very fortunate, but I, I've walked alongside people that don't, have all the doors there and i've i've been someone that i've been able to open the door for people just keep working at it keep trying um if you ever have thoughts or you have questions i would love to answer questions feel free to reach out to me um i think my my contact information will be in the the notes but um don't it's don't get discouraged you'll get there that's what i would want to leave with anybody that is struggling to get into the field those are some good words of wisdom there just because it seems like when people are are trying you know they if you give up it just might have been that next attempt that got you yeah. the job or you know so so that's great advice so thanks for for joining the show it's been a, a great conversation and and good to get to know you a little bit better and some of the things that that i didn't know is is very interesting so thanks for joining yeah absolutely thank you so much for the invite and um i really enjoyed this And for everyone listening, uh, we will have the social media contact information. So uh, Ross's LinkedIn and Twitter will be in the show notes. So thanks, everyone, and see you in the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.